So what do you think? Is a follower of Jesus Christ supposed to use his mind or just listen to his heart? Many in today's churches say it doesn't matter whether you think, you're just supposed to feel. That you don't have to be intellectual, but you do have to be spiritual. Today, you'll hear Dr. William Lane Craig argue that such thinking puts a person in intellectual neutral and can bring great harm to the cause of Christ. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. Dr. Zucharin is a scholar, author, and speaker who addresses spiritual and cultural issues of concern to all of us. Dr. Craig joined Pat at the 2011 Hawaii Apologetics Conference, and today we'll bring you part two of his fascinating presentation on being an intellectual neutral. So get ready to put your thinking cap on. And by the way, the entire conference featuring Dr. William Lane Craig is available on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Along with the conference, you'll find articles, books, interviews, past radio shows, and resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And now, here's Dr. William Lane Craig with part two of An Intellectual Neutral. Christians who lack training in defending their faith are often afraid to speak out and share their faith in Christ because they're afraid that someone's going to ask them a question that they don't know how to answer. And as a result, they hide their light under a bushel. But if you know the answers to the tough questions, then you're not afraid to go into the lion's den. On the contrary, you'll enjoy it. It's fun talking with these unbelievers about Christianity and about their objections to it. Being intellectually equipped will help, I believe, to make you a bold and fearless witness for Jesus Christ. Secondly, having good reasons for what you believe can also help you in times of doubt and struggle. Prior to my oral examinations for my doctorate in theology at the University of Munich, Jan and I spent the summer in Berlin uh, where I reviewed for my upcoming exams. I had been working for three years writing my doctoral dissertation and then preparing for over a year for these critical oral examinations. I had a stack of notes about a foot high, which I had virtually memorized. And every day I would review all of these notes in preparation for these crucial exams. Well, during our time in Berlin, we had the pleasure of entertaining Anne Kimmel and her new husband, Will, as they passed through the city. Now, for those of you who don't remember Anne Kimmel, Anne was at that time one of the most popular Christian women speakers in America. Uh, she was a unique person. The Lord really broke the mold after he made Anne Kimmel. She'd meet total strangers and she would try to share her faith with them by singing little improvised ditties that she made up and sharing her faith. She was extremely sentimental and emotional. She'd tell stories that would reduce an audience of Christian women to tears in just a matter of minutes. Well, as we were sitting around the table one day in the apartment in Berlin, I thought I tried to learn some lessons based upon Anne's extensive experience. So I asked her, Anne, how do you prepare for your messages? Oh, I don't prepare, she said. 
I was absolutely stunned. You don't prepare? I said, no. I was just floored. Well, then what do you do? Oh, I just share my struggles. I couldn't believe it. Here I was killing myself in years of preparation for ministry, and she doesn't prepare. And yet there was no denying the effectiveness of her ministry. She led thousands of people to Christ. She would even tell stories of how hard-boiled academics would be melted by her little ditties and stories and come to faith in Christ. And I thought to myself, why am I doing all this when all you've got to do is just share your struggles? Well, Jan and I went back to the States that fall to do a sabbatical at the University of Arizona in Tucson, where a former classmate of mine lived. And I shared with him one day about my conversation with Ann and told him how it had really taken the wind out of my sails. And he said something to me that was very reassuring. He told me, Bill, someday those people that Ann Kimmel has led to the Lord are going to need what you have to offer. And he was right. Emotions will take you only so far. And then you're going to need something more substantive. As I speak in churches around the country, I constantly meet parents who come up to me after the service and say something like this. Oh, if only you'd been here two or three years ago. Our son or our daughter had questions about the faith which no one in the church could answer. And now he's far from the Lord. It just breaks my heart to meet parents like this. A campus minister at Stanford University recently told me that 40% of the kids in our high school youth groups will walk away from the church permanently and never come back after graduating from high school. And it's not just that they lose their faith in a hostile university environment. Rather, many of these kids have already lost their faith while in the high school youth group, but they just continue to go through the motions until they're out from under mom and dad's authority. I think that the church is really failing these kids. Rather than provide them with training in the defense of Christianity's truth, we concentrate on emotional worship experiences, felt needs, and entertainment. It's no wonder they become sitting ducks for that hostile high school teacher or university professor who takes rational aim at their faith. In high school and college, Christian teenagers are intellectually assaulted with every manner of non-Christian philosophy conjoined with an overwhelming relativism. How dare we, how dare we send them out into an intellectual battle zone unarmed as we do? We've got to train our kids for war. Christian moms and dads have got to do more than just take their kids to church and read them Bible stories. We've got to train them in Christian doctrine and apologetics. And moms and dads need to be intellectually engaged themselves. 
and so be able to explain to their children simply at first and then as they grow older with increasing depth exactly what and why we believe as we do. Now, of course, this isn't going to guarantee that your child will keep the faith. There are all sorts of moral and spiritual factors that enter into this uh, equation as well. But when you look at the arguments that ex-believers often give for walking away from Christianity, you'll find they're often very confused or weak. For example, I recently saw one website where the ex-believer posted a list of the books that had persuaded him to abandon Christianity with the note that he hoped to read them someday. <laughs> what you find is that some of these people actually come to embrace positions which are more extreme and require more gullibility, like that Jesus of Nazareth never existed, than the conservative positions that they once held as Christians. But while being intellectually engaged is not a guarantee, still it can help. As I travel, I also constantly meet people who have been brought back from the brink of abandoning their faith because they've watched a debate or they've read a book or seen a video in defense of the Christian faith. I was speaking some time ago at Princeton University on arguments for the existence of God. And after my talk, a young man approached me and his face was trembling with emotion. He was trying to hold back the tears. And he told me how a couple of years earlier he had been struggling with severe doubts and he was on the brink of abandoning his faith in Christ. And then someone gave him a video of one of my debates. And he said, I cannot thank you enough. It saved me from losing my faith. And I told him how thrilled I was for him. And I asked him about his future plans. I'm graduating this year, he said, and I'm planning to go to seminary. I'm going into the pastorate. Praise God for the victory in this young man's life. When you're going through hard times, and God seems distant, being familiar with the arguments and the evidence for Christianity's truth can help you to remember that our faith is not based on emotions, but it is based on the truth, and therefore you must hold on to it. Thirdly, being intellectually engaged as a Christian is going to make you a deeper and more interesting person. American culture is so appallingly superficial, fixated on celebrities, entertainment, sports, and self-indulgence. Becoming intellectually engaged with your faith is going to take you beyond all that to life's deepest questions. Questions about the existence and nature of God, the meaning of life, the foundation of moral values, the origin of the universe, the nature of man and the soul, the problem of suffering and evil, and so on. As you wrestle with these deep questions, you yourself will be changed. You'll become a more thoughtful and well-rounded person. 
you'll learn how to think logically and how to analyze what other people are saying. Instead of saying, this is how I feel about it. It's just my opinion, that's all. You'll be able to say, this is what I think about it. And here are my reasons for it. As a Christian, you'll have a deeper appreciation of a Christian world and life view. And you'll see how the Christian beliefs about God and the world and man all fit together to form a coherent world view as a Christian. So the personal benefits of becoming intellectually engaged as a Christian are just enormous. You'll become a bolder and more effective witness for Christ. You and your children will be able to persevere more easily in times of doubt and struggle and you'll become a deeper and more interesting person. Finally, number three, winning unbelievers, winning unbelievers. Many people would agree, I think, with what I've said tonight about the personal benefits of being intellectually engaged in the life of a Christian. But they'll deny that this is of any value in winning unbelievers to Christ. Nobody comes to Christ through arguments, they'll tell you. Well, to a certain extent, I think that such people are just victims of false expectations. When you realize that most people who hear the gospel don't respond to it and accept it, and that of those who do respond to the gospel, only a minority do so for intellectual reasons, we shouldn't really be surprised that most people will simply refuse to be persuaded by our arguments and evidence. But then you might say, well, why bother then with that minority of a minority who will respond to arguments and evidence and become Christians? Well, two reasons, I think. First, because every human being is precious to God, a person for whom Christ died, and therefore that person is worth seeking to win as well. But secondly, this minority, though relatively small in numbers, is huge in influence. One of these persons, for example, was C.S. Lewis. And just think of the influence that that one man's conversion has continued to have down to this very day. I find that the people who respond most to my arguments and evidence tend to be engineers, people in medicine, and lawyers. Now, these are among some of the most influential movers and shakers in American culture today. So if we can reach these people for the kingdom of God, it will in turn yield a great harvest for the gospel. And in any case, the generalization that arguments and evidence are not effective in winning people to Christ is just not true. Lee Strobel recently remarked to me that he has lost count of the number of people that have come to Christ through his books, The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. And in our own ministry, we are continually thrilled to see people coming to Christ through hearing a gospel presentation conjoined with an intellectual defense of Christianity's truth. 
So people who say that arguments and evidence are not effective with unbelievers must be speaking out of their own limited experience. When a case for Christ is persuasively presented and sensitively combined with a gospel presentation and a personal testimony, then the Spirit of God is pleased to use it to bring people to himself. So for all of these reasons, and I think we need to realize that a vital part of Christian discipleship, at least for Americans in Western society and culture, is learning to love God with all our minds, just as Jesus commanded. So what practical steps can you take if you want to become intellectually engaged with your faith? Well, let me just close with three practical suggestions. First, you can begin to read good Christian nonfiction, nonfiction books. Let me recommend a few titles to get you started. First, with respect to knowing what you believe as a Christian, I would recommend uh, Paul Little's book, Know What You Believe, or Bruce Milne's book, Know the Truth. Both of these are good introductory books to Christian doctrine or theology, know what you believe. Secondly, with regard to knowing why you believe, secondly, have also Paul Little's book, Know Why You Believe, and then Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. Again, these are very simple, beginner-level books that will acquaint you with the evidence and arguments for Christianity's truth. And even though they are introductory, nevertheless, they are very substantial uh, and give good, solid reasons and evidence. So begin to read good non-Christian uh, non-fiction, rather, good non-fiction uh, Christian books. <laughs> Secondly, I want to suggest that you attend an apologetics conference where you will get some training in providing arguments for the existence of God, answering tough objections like the problem of suffering and evil in the world, and so forth. So avail yourselves of the opportunities that come your way. Take the time, make the effort, to put yourself in the way of learning and be serious about Christian discipleship. Thirdly, I want to commend to you the abundant internet resources that are available through reasonablefaith.org. This is the web-based ministry that Jan and I are involved in, and at reasonablefaith.org you will find free of charge, everything on the site is free, just enormous quantities of popular articles, scholarly articles, transcripts of debates, audiovisual materials of talks and interviews. You will find two podcasts there, one called Reasonable Faith, one called Defenders, which is my own class in doctrine and apologetics. There's an open forum that you can blog on and participate in conversations with unbelievers who also come to the site. There's a question of the week that I take each week and answer. So there's constant fresh material coming onto the site, reasonablefaith.org. And one other facet of our ministry is that we have begun local chapters of Reasonable Faith in various cities around the country and even internationally. And this is an opportunity where people who are interested in these kinds of things 
can come together to do, say, a book study together, watch a debate together and, and discuss it, hear a, an invited lecture. And there is now a reasonable faith chapter in Honolulu. It's headed up by Steve Williams. And if you would be interested in attending uh, these meetings, I want to commend to you Reasonable Faith Honolulu as a place where like-minded people can get together and talk about these sorts of issues. I think that American culture can be changed. So whether God is calling you to become a Christian scholar on the front lines of battle in uh, America's universities, or perhaps calling you to be a Christian layperson who is a witness in your community, or a Christian parent who is responsible for the education and instruction of your children, God wants to use you to make an impact for Christ, for the church's sake, for your children's sake, for your own sake. Do not squander this opportunity. So if up until now you've just been coasting, idling in intellectual neutral, now is the time to get it in gear. We have a 14-year-old son that we feel like just comes to church and going through the motion, and we've done everything that we can. Mm. Um, aside from encouraging you know, prayer and the Bible, is there a series of books for young teens that will get him you know, um, interested in? Because I'm always encouraging him to read, but I can't think of a good Christian-based series. Yeah. Well, Lee Strobel does have student editions, teenage editions of his books, like The Case for Christ. Look for Lee Strobel's books in these student editions. That would probably be something that would be communicative. Thanks for coming, Dr. Craig. A uh, question I have is, what do you say, how do you respond to someone that uh, have, uh, they state that the Christian faith has gone too intellectual, uh, that there's too much academia inside, that the, simplicity, the simplicity of the faith has been... Uh, neglected for a higher reasoning. I don't know if you get my. Anybody like that. Oh, never. Oh, okay. Well, never. Met thank you. No, <laughs> I mean, but if I did meet somebody, what would I say? I mean, I would say, I guess I would say, really? <laughs> Why do you think that? Give me some examples. Uh, I'm fascinated. Where do you see this abuse going on? I'd, I'd like to hear about it. Uh, I've never run into it. Uh, so I guess, let me, let me rephrase your question so that I don't just give a flippant answer. I think where this danger can arise is frankly for people like me who spend a lifetime focusing on this area. And so they become so cerebral, so intellectual, that they allow the emotional side of their Christian experience to shrivel up and die. And that's not right. We need to be not just right brain, but left and right brain people, both. We need to have both sides engaged. And so a really important part of the Christian faith is nurturing what are called the Christian affections, what you love. Not just what you believe, but what do you love? Where's your heart? And so I think I try to encourage fellow apologists, people who are involved in Christian apologetics, to be mindful that they're spending time in prayer and devotional Bible reading, that they are engaging in meaningful worship, 
where their heart and emotions are engaged in worshiping the Lord so that they allow these religious affections to be nurtured as well. I think sometimes Christian apologists can become so afraid of their emotions because they've seen how some people are emotionally fanatical that they, they become almost paranoid of that and they allow that dimension of the Christian life to shrivel up. And that is, I think, a great tragedy and a danger that we do need to guard against. But I don't find that for the normal church-going believer that that's a very present danger. On the contrary, the reason I gave the talk I did tonight is because I think the danger lies on quite the opposite side. That was Dr. William Lane Craig presenting reasons we are not to be an intellectual neutral on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. Dr. Craig joined Pat Zucharin as part of the 2011 Hawaii Apologetics Conference, and it's all available on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. This exciting conference also featured topics like science and religion, the existence of God, can we be good without God, the new atheist and their case against God, and the problem of God and evil. Download this conference and you'll take your study of these crucial topics to the next level. Go right now to evidenceandanswers.org. And we also ask that you support us financially. Your stewardship and giving helps keep Evidence and Answers on this station and keeps Pat speaking all over the world. Today, more than ever, people need biblical answers to their questions about God and His love for us and the evidence to support those answers. So please let us hear from you today. Just click the Donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucker.